0: Uh, You know, COVID-19 isn't the only thing that people are dealing with in their life. Uh, The Hedgepeth family lost their son, Will, uh, after a long battle with cancer in early November. And uh, we really very much consider them a part of our family. Uh, Bruce was the one that hired me at Church of the Palms uh, to be the lead teaching pastor at the Garden. Uh, And without Bruce, uh, there would be no grace life in that respect. And so our church really reached out to them in a very difficult time uh, in a way that I believe I was so proud of the way that we lived out the surprising generosity part of our core values. He asked me to read this to you. We sent out an email to everyone yesterday, but he asked me to read this to you. To our dear friends at Grace Life, it is difficult to express how much Cindy and I appreciate your care, your friendship, your cards, your gifts, your calls, and your many other expressions of love and support during Will's battle with cancer and since his passing on November 10th, we thank you. It has been humbling and beautiful and sustaining that in our time, in the darkest valley, you have ministered to us in such profound ways. I never realized how impactful a sympathy card with a handwritten message could be, but yours have all touched us deeply. A number of you have made significant gifts to the Grace Life Food Pantry in Will's memory. We are grateful for your kindness and generosity. It was Will's wish, since his illness made it impossible for him to eat, that others would not experience hunger as he did. We believe that the ministry of Grace Life's Food Pantry is helping prevent people in our area from being hungry. And our prayers that God will continue to work in powerful ways through this important ministry. Again, many thanks. And may God bless you richly in this season of AdFit and Christmas. With, what, with much love, Bruce and Cindy Hedgepath. They're dear, precious people to us, and they wanted me to convey how much you mean to them. Uh, real quick before I preach, we're excited about December 24th, right here, 5 p.m. at McCurdy's, Christmas Eve unplugged. It's going to be a very different feel. It's going to be family friendly. If you have kids, the room will be friendly for kids. Uh, some of them can even run around. Uh, Did I just mess up by saying that? No, okay, that's fine. They can run around. (laughs) We're going to have like some acoustic Christmas worship, and then we're going to be talking uh, in an informal way, the people up here, about peace, hope, joy, and love, Uh, the things that we've been celebrating each week as Megan has led us through Advent. I'm very excited about Christmas Eve Unplugged. It's a very unique way for us to celebrate together, and I hope you'll make it on your calendars. It will be on Facebook Live like Grace Life TV, it's kind of a Grace Life TV f- uh, feel like we were doing a few months before and on YouTube. Uh, so everybody can join with us. All right, with that in mind, let's go toward um, the, the message for this week. We're continuing the Gospel of Mark. This is week number 56, and I've entitled this sermon, Jesus' Tax Returns. So, question, have you ever gotten, like, like in August, I'm not talking about the end of the year, but have you ever got like, in August in the mail an envelope that says, IRS? Do you get... Because you know it's not something... Congratulations, you did a great job with your taxes in August. That's not what they're doing, right? Usually a letter from the IRS in August means there's a problem and you're going to need to rectify it rather quickly. Because if you don't, we're going to, you know, fines and fees and, you know, maybe sometimes if you really ignore it, jail. Um, Why is that? Why do we get a little nervous? Have you ever... As a person, just you don't have to raise your hand, but just think, have you ever paid somebody to help you with your taxes? Maybe you hired a tax service. Maybe you have an accountant. Maybe even just TurboTax. Like you would never just take the form and just fill it out yourself. Right? It's software now. It's an accountant, a bookkeeper, or some sort of expert. Right? Well, why? Why do we go through all that trouble and even that expense? Well, I'll tell you why. A, you don't want to pay any more than necessary, of course, right? You don't, nobody loves to, I don't care who you are, you don't love to overpay your taxes. But B, you want to make sure you don't violate the law and get in trouble with the IRS. That's the last thing you want. You know, there are many famous stories about people that got in trouble violating federal tax laws. My favorite story is one about, I guess, Lil Wayne. Y'all know that guy? He's a rapper, if you don't know 12 million dollars he got in trouble with the IRS. 12 million. Nicholas Cage, who used to live part-time on Longboat Key, 6 million bucks, he got into a lot of trouble. Willie Nelson over the course of like 20 years his accountant misled him 32 million dollars. And he signed an agreement with the IRS that he would make an album, and they would get all the proceeds from the album. They only got like 3.4 million of it, but, you know, because it was one of his worst albums. He probably wasn't motivated, right, to sing about the tax man. <laughs> you know, Martha Stewart went to jail over a quarter million dollars from the IRS, 260,000. Wesley Snipes was in jail for three years, over 7 million. So you can see why the idea of Tax law violations and paying your taxes can be a little bit scary, and you better take it serious. Everyone wants to make sure their tax situation is in order, because the consequences can be quite costly. Question, do we ever spend as much time or have as much concern over what we might owe God as we do our tax bill? That's what the message is today. This passage is in Mark chapter 12, 13-17. through 17. And they sent him, some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians, to trap him in his talk. And they came to him and said, "'Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion, "'for you are not swayed by appearances, but you truly teach the way of God. "'Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not?' "'By lawful they mean according to biblical law. "'Should we pay them or should we not? "'But knowing their hypocrisy, Jesus said to them, "'Why do you put me to the test?' Bring me a denarius, and let me look at it. And they brought him a denarius, and he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said, It's Caesar's. Jesus said to them, Then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, but to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. So we break up each passage in three sections. The historical, what about man, what did he do, and why and how did he do it. I've entitled this section, tax time. So first of all, I want you to understand who the Sanhedrin are, and they're very angry. It says the Pharisees and the Herodians. Herodians is just another name for Sadducees, okay? <clears throat> the Sanhedrin was the primary Jewish legal authority in Jerusalem, and they adjudicated anything and everything they had to do with temple law and Jewish rituals and Jewish customs. They had been around for centuries before Rome had taken over Israel But Rome allowed them to continue, and they sanctioned them with a very important job. You can keep your power, but the goal is you better make sure things stay in order. We don't want any, you know, uh, rebellions, and you better make sure people pay their taxes. And this Sanhedrin was comprised of very rich and powerful lawyers. All the priests in the temple were part of the Sanhedrin, the scribes, and it contained groups of Pharisees, and Sadducees, who are, as we've discussed in the past, natural political rivals. They very much kind of are similar to Republicans and Democrats. Pharisees being more like a Republican side and, and Sadducees being more like the Democrats. And I've explained that over and over again, how there's similarities. But they were constant political rivals. And there's a lot of infighting on the Sanhedrin, as you can imagine, because of this. See, the Pharisees are wholly devoted to Israel being an independent nation. They want Rome out. They hate taxes, they are what we would consider the more spiritual group, the Sadducees or the Herodians as they're called in this passage, they align with the Herod family, who by the way isn't really even a Jewish family, it was left over from another kingdom before Rome came in and took over, but Rome had sanctioned the Herodian family to govern the region. And these are natural rivals, right? They have a common enemy now, in Jesus, he's proven to be a political and a cultural and a philosophical threat to both of their ways of life. His teaching, his actions in Jerusalem, this week particularly with the overturning of the money changers in the temple and, and the Palm, Palm Monday thing, you know, Hosanna in the highest and, and the preaching he's done, all of that has humiliated these powerful people. He's challenged them both, and they are all together, these rivals, the Herodians or the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they are all very incensed with Jesus. But they're also extremely afraid of him because he's incredibly popular. Because, see, people love Jesus. So the Sanhedrin can't really go after him directly. They've got to figure out a way to drag Rome into the conflict so that they can take care of their dirty work. They need to get Rome in conflict with Jesus. So first up in this new strategy is the Pharisees. They send out their best. They send out their best uh, legal experts when it comes to the Mosaic Law. The Sadducees will try their hand later in the day. We'll talk about that next week. But this is the group of Pharisees first trying to trap Jesus with this question about taxes. I want to talk about Roman taxes for just a minute. See, most people, especially those who follow Jesus and virtually all the Pharisees, they had a tremendous disdain for Big Rome and its many taxes. Of course, the Sadducees were okay with it. They liked Big Rome. They liked the taxes. It gave them power. All the types of taxes, right? There were land taxes. If you're a farmer, there were crop taxes. In other words, one-fifth of everything you made went to Rome. There's import taxes. There's border taxes if you cross between one region to another. If you go into a city, there's a city gate tax. There's tons and tons of ways that Rome was having money flow back. Taxes, 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 taxes. That word just... Th- Rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? It's a beautiful word. Taxes. love saying it. It's so fun to say. But this particular tax they're talking about is this thing called a poll tax. Now, I'll explain that in a minute, but I want you to understand the history of Roman taxes in Israel uh, Josephus, who is a big uh, Jewish historian, he writes a story about a man named Judas. It's not the one we think about that betrayed Jesus. It's a different Judas, right? He actually led a rebellion in probably about 6 AD, probably three years after Jesus was born. He had a rebellion against Rome because of all their taxes. And Judas and his followers, they believed that this poll tax that I'm going to explain to you in a minute was immoral. And it should not be paid by any Jew. It was against the Torah, Pagan Rome is forcing us to give them our money, and then they're taking that money, and they're using it for ungodly, abhorrent things. Things that God hates. So they rebelled. How do you think that worked out? They were wiped out. They were destroyed. They were killed. So the precedent now, right, church? The precedent has been set. Rome charges taxes, and if you try to rebel and get out of paying them... The fate of Judas and his group of rebellers awaits you. Death. And so what happened is each year, Rome, and this is what the poll tax was that they're talking about, each year, Rome mandated that every region would conduct a census. Empire-wide, and it's mandatory. And what would happen is you would have to go back to your home city, get counted, and you paid a tax. That tax was equivalent to whatever you would earn in a full day of wages, that is the tax you had to pay to the Roman authorities once a year when they did this, sentence, sentence, uh, this uh, t- census. As a matter of fact, if some of you remember your Christmas story, that's why Joseph and Mary were traveling to, be- to Bethlehem, right, to pay their taxes and be part of the census. And along the way, Jesus was born. Great, Jesus, you couldn't wait for a couple weeks. Now we've got to pay a third tax. Thanks a lot, Jesus. So that's Roman taxes. Now let's talk about flattering Jesus. This is what they do. See, the Pharisees, right, they decided taxes is what they'll use to put Jesus in conflict with Rome, and hopefully they'll take over and execute him. If they can get Jesus somehow with his huge public following to come out against Roman taxes like Judas and his followers did, right, Herod will have to act. And if Rome, through Herod, acts... People will run from Jesus out of fear of being killed. So they send their smartest Pharisees to set this tax trap. And their trap is a legal one. And later on in the day, we'll talk about it next week, the Sadducees would try a philosophical trap, but we'll get into that next week. That's next week's sermon. But this one is a legal tax law type of trap. These guys think they can manipulate Jesus. It's pretty amazing. And they start to appeal to his ego, They start off with dishonest flattery. Let's just read it again. Here's what they say. Here's what the Pharisees say to Jesus. We know that you are true, and you don't care about anyone's opinion. Jesus, you are the bomb. For you are not swayed by appearances, but you just teach what God's word says. We know that about you. You are awesome. So please, dear teacher, please try to teach us this important question. We're struggling with this, Jesus. Is it lawful to pay taxes on this poll tax to Caesar every year or not? Should we pay them or should we not? So sincere. Jesus, you're among friends. It's a safe space. We all hate taxes. What do you think about this Roman oppression? Level with us, Jesus. Roman taxes are immoral, aren't they? They're against the Bible. And they're expecting Jesus to say, you're right, do not pay taxes to evil Rome. And if he does that, they've got him. Now let's look at the theology of the passage. What about God? What does he do and why and how does he do it? I've titled this part of the sermon, Render Unto God. First of all, Jesus says, don't flatter me. <clears throat> Jesus knows what they're doing. He's not fooled by their flattery, their enticement, their compliments, their faux adoration. As a matter of fact, here's what's fascinating. The Greek word that's used here, Why are you trying to trap me? Why are you trying to entice me? It's the Greek word parazo. It means to entice. You know what's interesting about this word? It is exactly the same word, get this, used to describe Satan's temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. Jesus, you could call angels if you wanted to. Will you do it? Jesus, if you just do this, I'll give you everything in the world. Will you do it? See, Jesus has been here before. He's been trying, people are better than these Pharisees have had tried to entice Jesus. Satan himself has tried. He knows it's a trap designed to bring about his demise. But the problem is their plans don't fit his timetable, his time frame. Oh, he's going to die. He's already predicted that many times, but he's going to die when he wants, how he wants, where he wants, by the hands of who he wants and chooses. So Jesus, what he does is so brilliant, guys. And this is, there's so much here, right? I really struggle with trying to keep it down. But Jesus publicly expo- exposes their true intentions. Why do you want to trap me? I see right through your silly, stupid facade. I added that. He didn't say stupid. I said that. You don't believe what I say is true. If you did, believe what I say is true. You'd be asking quite different questions than you are. Instead of asking about questions do with this world, you'd be asking about questions regarding the kingdom of heaven. And so he first deals with Caesar's riches. So understand something. In three years of public ministry, this is fascinating. Jesus barely mentions the most important topic in all the land, which is Caesar. He never mentions Herod. He never even talks about the immoralities of the Roman Empire. He never, ever once, get this now, Christians, he never once engaged in the continual pharisaical pastime of griping about Rome and Roman taxes. Whether they were too high or too low, his primary focus hasn't been topics surrounding the kingdom of Caesar, but the house of God, the kingdom of God. This has been the subject of his teaching for the last two days we've been studying, all throughout the temple compound. And Jesus exposes their hypocrisy and several layers of irony. They're just fascinating, right? He asked for, in the scripture, he says, bring me a denarius. You know what a denarius is? It's a Roman-minted coin. And it represented, get this, what was the poll tax? A day's wage? A denarius was what Rome said would be Delineated as worth a day's wage. It's brilliant, right? So he says, bring me a denarius. And it's fascinating because there's so much irony here. When he says, bring me the denarius, good Jews would never carry a Roman coin, especially one with Caesar's image. Because it's a graven image. In Exodus 20, it says, you will have no graven images. Well, this coin with Caesar's face on it is clearly a graven image. Good Jews that only carry Hebrew coins with no images. But these Pharisees somehow, conveniently, have a denarius in their pocket. <laughs> and Jesus knows it. He says, Does anyone by any chance uh, have a denarius somewhere? Oh, yes, Jesus. Here we go. Boom. See, they pay their poll tax, don't they? This question isn't about whether or not they should pay taxes. They know they have to pay them or else they're going to die. So they have the denarius in their pocket, the one that Rome expects you to use to pay the poll tax. They have it. Jesus says, can I have a denarius? Oh, yes, here. Here's one. I'll get that back, right, though, because I need to pay my taxes, you know, but here's a denarius. That's the only way you could pay the poll tax. Irony three Caesar, whose image is on this coin, thought he was God. (laughs) The Pharisees had no problem using his money. There is even more hypocrisy for you. Jesus asked, who's on the coin? Well, of course, they say it's Caesar. He's on the coin. And here's his brilliant answer. And there's so much here. He says, render to Caesar what is his, but to God what belongs to God. So let's talk about God's riches real quick what Roman rule should look like and how they should interact with it, that was the primary obsession of all the Pharisees. In other words, they were obsessed with this world, the things in this world. That's what Jesus exposes with his incredibly brilliant answer, that they were more concerned about what is owed Caesar than what they owe to God. The coin belongs to Caesar, but everything else belongs to my father, You've stolen what was God's, and you've kept it for yourself. He exposes their obsession with temporary things, with possessions, with money, with power, prestige, and relationship with the Roman government. And he says, you have disregarded the heavenly kingdom. Let go of your obsession, your silly, stupid obsession with Caesar's riches, Let go of your obsession with your place in this world and embrace my kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. And verse 17 says, and they were amazed at him. And Luke, there's a little, you know, talks about this story in the gospel. of Luke says they were silent. They couldn't speak. And Matthew says they marveled and went away, probably in shame. The Pharisees know they've been bested. And yet another embarrassment and next exposure has taken place. Look at the personal section. This is going to be hard. I'm talking about what we owe. <clears throat> Are you ready? It's important. This was my sermon preview this week. Deciding what you owe in taxes is easy. It's math, right? I mean, you may, not, you may not like it, but it's a math equation. You can figure it out. That's easy. Deciding what you owe God, hmm, that's far more difficult, isn't it? I want to talk about what we owe government. Okay. Many mistakenly see paying taxes as the primary lesson Jesus is. How many, how many times have you heard that? What about taxes? Well, render to Caesar. And people think that when Jesus was responding to their question, he's talking about how important it is for Christians to pay their taxes. They think that's what his answer is to the Pharisee trap, that he's teaching us to pay taxes. Wrong. That's not the main point here. That's what the Pharisees wanted to talk about. Jesus didn't bring it up. Jesus could care less about taxes. He never brought it up once. Look, if taxes, if the question of whether or not you should pay taxes was so important, don't you think Jesus would have said something at the Sermon on the Mount? He talked about everything else. (laughs) He never once brought it up. Ironically, though, as much as they hated taxes, taxes, the Pharisees would actually always pay them. Out of fear, of course. And yes, listen, I'm not saying... Pastor Joe says I don't got to pay taxes. and No, I'm not saying that. Okay? I don't want to bail you out. Yes, Christians should render to Caesar, quote-unquote. We do have, and there's other places in Scripture that talk about this, a legal and spiritual responsibility to follow the law, make sure we're in compliance with what the government says, and pay the government what we owe. And frankly... If you're honest, most of you go to very significant lengths. You keep records, you hire experts, you pay for software, you observe all the filing deadlines, and you make sure that you are thorough and you do your good job of making sure you pay the right amount of taxes. But that is not the lesson that Jesus is teaching here. That's not what we are to learn. That's what the Pharisees wanted to know. But Jesus could care less. This is not... The topic—it's far from it. The real topic is what you owe God. So I'm going to put a verse up there: Romans 12:1 and 2, it, or Romans 12, 1, right? Look what, look what Paul says. And what Paul had done in Romans, he spent 11 chapters describing the riches of God's mercy, his sovereign grace, the story of redemption, how much it cost Jesus and, and how powerful it is. And he just spent a, It was almost like a legal brief. It was unbelievable how thorough. That's why Romans is so hard to preach. It's written like a legal brief. It's incredible. And he does all this incredible job of laying out a bulletproof case. And then he comes to verse 12 and he says, because of all that, I beseech you, therefore, brothers, I appeal to you, therefore, the therefore is there for the other 11 chapters. I appeal to you, therefore, I beg of you, the Greek word is, because of the mercies of God, present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. The actual Greek construction can be translated, which is the least you can do. I beg of you, because of the mercies I've just spent 11 chapters explaining, I plead with you, I implore with you, present your body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable God, because it's the least you can do. That's what you owe for what God has done. See, why didn't the Pharisees ask why he called the temple his house a couple days ago when he said, This is my house and it's a house of prayer? Why didn't they ask what God required of them? See, it indicates where their heart was, it was on money. Listen, church, money. They had not thought of the fact that they owed everything that they have to God. Here's yet another irony. You ready? I left out until now. Caesar doesn't even have anything unless God allows him to have it. In fact, there's a story in Matthew 17 when the tax collectors came and said, Peter, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? And Jesus said to Peter, well, this is my father's house, the temple. Why should I pay taxes? But to keep the peace, take a shekel from the fish's mouth and use that to pay the temple tax. By the way, a shekel was four drachma. The temple tax was two drachma per person. So Jesus said, take the shekel, which is tax enough for you and for me, and pay it just to keep peace. He didn't need to pay it. He just did it because it wasn't the most important thing to him. See, Jesus said many times throughout his ministry, everything belongs to me and my father, even our own very selves. That's the real point. He's saying, "Stop sweating Rome. What you owe Rome is tiny. That's nothing. Just pay it. What you owe God, that's not so easy." Determining what we should render to Caesar, to government, is quite simple. There are forms for that. There are rules. A calculator and a pen, and that's really all you need. In the end, taxes are just math. It's a very objective answer. But figuring out what you actually owe to God and how to pay it is exceedingly difficult, is it not? See, this is what made Jesus' answer So brilliant. The Roman answer is easy. Just give Caesar what's Caesar's. The God answer was not. See, figuring out what you owe God, get this, church. It's a difficult problem mathematically, because the number's quite big. It's also, because the number's so big, it's difficult emotionally. Remember the rich young ruler that went away crying because God said everything you have is mine? See, it's difficult mathematically, Knowing what you owe God is difficult emotionally. It's also difficult spiritually because it requires brokenness and humility. It's also very difficult to figure out practically speaking, is it not? I mean, the poll tax is once a year. April 15th is one time. Figuring out what you owe God? That's daily. And it's not just about money. Oh, it is. Don't I'm not letting you off the hook. It is about money. But it's not just money. It's our time. It's our faithfulness. It's our reliability. It's our priorities. It's our goals. It's our reputations. It's our relationships. It's every one of our choices and every one of our actions. All of those figure into the equation of what does God deserve from me? And while we do pay our taxes consistently, right? I mean, most of you in here pay your taxes, I hope. We do pay them. The problem is, I don't think we do a very good job of figuring out what we owe God consistently. Most of us habitually ignore that, in fact, don't we? As a matter of fact, what we do, if you're really honest about it, is that we keep a lot of what we owe God for ourselves. So, the last point I want to ask you who's really our God? Remember the irony that I pointed out that Caesar's face was on the denarius because he considered himself a God? Do you remember that? See, that's why they marveled, and that's why they walked away stunned, perplexed, impressed, and probably even fearful because they had been exposed. And they were nervous. I mean, if we truly rendered to God what is rightfully his, how different would we look right now? Like, even right now as we speak, if your mind is wandering a little bit, what if your main focus was, in fact, making sure I render to God what is his? What would our attention look like? What would our priorities look like? What would our schedule look like? What if we, get this now, what if we spent the same amount of time and energy figuring out what we should render to God as we do counting our money, planning with our money, and making sure we have the right tax bill? What if they were the same? I mean, they should be God more. But what if, what if we spend as much time thinking about what we owe God as we do the government? I think the comparative amount of effort and concern you put into these two debts you have you have a debt to the government. You have a debt to God. The time you put into these two debts, 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 there we go. It reveals, get this, who your God really is. You know, come to think of it, if our primary focus is on what we owe Caesar, it may be that, and, and, and walk with me here, right? I'm going to, bring you full circle back to the story, if our primary focus or if our main focus is on money and the world and our possessions and what we owe the government and our taxes, if that is a focus more than what you owe God, walk with me here. Is it possible that all our talk and all our worship about Jesus being King of Kings and Lord of Lords and our Savior and the great God Almighty and all those things we sing around, is it possible that that is just like the flattery of the Pharisees? Is it possible? I mean, if that really is the way we have our focus divided, then our worship is really just empty flattery. It's not really our God. The money is. Maybe our flattering worship is just really motivated out of fear he might take away our earthly blessings or maybe hope that we'll get more. Maybe our worship has more to do with earthly treasure than it does heavenly. Maybe our God is money and not the Father. Maybe this Christmas season is time individually we do a little introspection. Look, unfortunately for you, I don't have a quantitative answer for you personally about what you should render to God. (laughs) If I'm honest... (laughs) I'm struggling with the immensity of my own bill, okay? I'm having a hard time figuring it out myself. Don't ask me to help you with the math. But I really think we should take some time individually to stop and reflect God, how much am I focused and concerned about rendering to you what you owe or what I owe to you? Heavenly Father, we just, this is an overwhelming truth. Because all we want to think about is what we can see, what makes us comfortable, what we're earning for, what we're striving for, what we're working for, what's around us. And yes, of course, we're supposed to be good citizens. But when it comes to rendering to you what we owe you, man, that's a very intimidating price tag because we owe you everything. But we certainly don't act like it. We act like we just owe you 10% or whatever's left over at the end of the month. (laughs) Or when we feel a little guilty, we act like we owe you a guilt tax to make ourselves feel better. Sometimes we might adjust our schedule. Sometimes we're a little bit more generous than others, maybe even during Christmas time. But Lord, we confess to you that we spend a lot of time thinking about Caesar and not enough about the kingdom of heaven, about you. So I pray, God, that you would help us to learn how to, practically speaking, every day, render to you what belongs to you. In Jesus' name, amen. That's a tough one. Well, Jesus has been really tough on us the last few weeks, hasn't he? It doesn't get better, I'm <laughs> sorry to tell you. We love you guys. We're thankful that you're here. Uh, We're looking forward to seeing you next week and in Christmas Eve service, Christmas Eve Unplugged. For you guys out there watching, thank you for joining us. Have a great week. If you need anything, let us know. We've got your back. All right? Thank you.